0: Okay, thanks. Just waiting for that. Okay, well, I'm not going to um, survey um, recent weeks, but just really highlight um, some key um, questions that we face. And um, I suppose the obvious place to begin is um, the energy. Cost of living crisis, and it gets worse and worse, doesn't it? Um, Literally, um, with every week. So the last um, prediction uh, that I came across in terms of um, October, bills going up in October, was this is an average um, family. Uh, would be paying 3,549 pounds. And that, to get an idea of what that means, I suppose we should look at uh, where that's come from. And that's up from 1,971 pounds, which a uh, quick calculation, I'm only guessing, looks roughly speaking like an 80% um, increase but now we're told, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. And uh, I just came across a figure last night uh, projecting about what the next uh, increase in 2023 will produce. And the figure there was £7,700. Uh, so again, I'm, I've got a calculator in front of me, but I would guess that that looks like something like a 200% um, increase, or there, thereabouts, but a, a massive, massive uh, price hike. Now, what needs to be understood is that many workers in Britain, especially in the public or semi-public uh, sector, uh, i.e. government controlled um, sections of the economy, have either um, suffered um, stagnant living Conditions over the last few years, or much more likely have seen their living standards go down. Um, because what we've seen is um, a steady increase in inflation and um, not any matching uh, increase with wages. Well, that was okay, you know, when inflation was 2.2% uh, or 2.5% or three uh, percent. You know, then workers, you know, could grumble. And they would say the pandemic, lockdown, you know, difficult times and all the rest of it. But now we're into a situation where you look at what the, um, uh, the bosses, not the real bosses, um, you know, but NHS bosses, um, rail bosses, um, local council uh, bosses, what, what they're offering, you know, is still of 2%. Sometimes they're offering 5%. Uh, if you accept, you know, longer hours and worse conditions and more work. But this is under conditions now, not of uh, 2% inflation or even 3% inflation. Um, what, what is being projected is well over 10% inflation. So we're talking now about 11 12%, 13% uh, inflation. Well, precisely. So, you know, once it starts to get cold and once, you know, you don't sit here like this and it's sunny and it's warm, uh, but, you know, winter uh, kicks in, you know, people genuinely, and not just those uh, at the very bottom, but way up uh, into the working class, uh, will be faced with a choice of whether to heat their homes or whether to um, go hungry. Uh, I mean, what else? Or, Or go into debt. Uh, that's the choice people will face and uh, you know in Britain um, there is a car culture Um, so if we look at the price of petrol um, that's a necessity in the same way that food uh, is a necessity so in terms of uh, this winter um, it looks like in Britain uh, people will be switching down uh, their central heating, switching off their fires, putting more jumpers on and uh, trying to avoid freezing. That's actually uh, what is in a prospect. And what we have at the moment is two candidates in the Tory um, leadership race, uh, one which looks like it's going to win and one which looks like they're going to lose. And the one that looks like they're going to win, Liz Truss, is, has been saying <laughs> that uh, She favours tax cuts. Um, There's a proposed uh, increase in national insurance tax, uh, which is paid by people in work um, above a certain uh, threshold of of income. And what she specifically said is she uh, isn't in favour of what she calls handouts. Um, So basically what she's saying is that especially the better off will be better off um, yeah, they have to face these enormous uh, increases in prices, not least enormous increases in energy prices. But the rest of you should do what our present, he won't be in post for very much longer, our present Chancellor has been saying, uh, and that is you should economise, economise um, on how much energy you use. And every time I look, for example, you know, online at an article in The Sun, which is the biggest circulating paper in Britain, I think still, or the Daily Mirror, which is coming more from a Labour Party um, angle. When I look at articles that they're carrying, I mean, they they tell you, well, a washing machine, that uses up so much energy. Well, what are you going to do? Stop washing your clothes then? Uh, They tell you to switch off at the the wall, which will save you, what, pound a year or something like that? there's no way in terms of our modern lifestyles that most of us can economize further. Uh, You know, basically what uh, we're being faced with is making basic choices um, in terms of our living standards, really uh, suffering a huge, huge uh, fall. And I don't know whether there. I mean, I don't know whether there's been any period in British history that's comparable uh, to this, um, I'd be very hard, you know, um, to think back historically and say, well, here's an example. And like for exa- I'll give you this. Uh, in terms of British history, most people here would know of the hungry thirties, uh, for example. So this is a period of mass unemployment, um, hunger marches led by the Communist Party. Uh, but also what should be pointed out for those in work Uh, which was the majority, their living standards actually went up. The unemployed, yes, uh, suffered in the hungry 30s. Terrible, terrible deprivation. But what I'm talking about now uh, isn't a minority of the working class. What we're talking about is the majority of the working class uh, suffering a huge drop in in their living standards. And as I said, I don't think there's been anything comparable in history. So, for example... If we look at World War Two, what happened there was rationing, Um, what happened there was drafting people into uh, industry, drafting people into agriculture, drafting people into the army. And what what happened is that the the diet, uh, the health of the working class actually increased. Um, So you can judge these things in many different ways. But ultimately, uh, it's how long you live, you know, how healthy you are. That's a pretty good basic test of living standards. So you can make the argument, and I would, that in the middle of World War II, which included, you know, attempt to blockade Britain by submarine uh, warfare, uh, that the living standards of the mass of the working class actually improved. Um, so uh, as I said, um, what we're facing here um, is without um, exception. And um, in terms of the government, well, we're going to get a new government in a in a few days' time. Um, basically, we're told no handouts. Uh, we're going to give um, tax cuts um, to the better off, and even if you're in better off, sections of the working class, you're not going to be any better off. You're going to be massively worse off. So it's no surprise, absolutely no surprise, that you know, it's like striking a match and throwing it onto petrol. Uh, what's happening, uh, and that is uh, union after union, workplace after workplace is balloting uh, for strike action, and uh, the results are overwhelmingly in favour of uh, taking strike action, and and the list is just so long. Um, So the latest um, to join now, actually, to take action, is the communication workers' union, um, and that's gonna uh, affect the post office, Royal Mail, uh, British Telecom, um, I can't remember all the other companies that were broken away, um, OpenReach, uh, for example. That's, as I said, hundred. I think I said 140,000. I think it's actually 150,000 uh, workers. Um, we're in the middle of strike action uh, in Britain's biggest port. Uh, That employs roughly 1,900 people, tiny number compared with what ports used to employ. But that's Britain's biggest port. That's Felixstowe. Um, They're on strike for eight days, and that's obviously affecting imports and uh, exports. We've already had and will continue to have strikes on the railways. So the White Collar Union, I don't think it's entirely white collar anymore, but TSSA, Transport and Salaried Staff Association, I think is the full title of the union. They've been on strike. RMT, Rail Marine Transport Union, uh, they're the general staff in on the railways. They've been on strike. Uh, the Drivers Union, ASLEF, I can't remember what they're called. I can't remember the full title of ASLEF, so forgive me. Farman are somewhere there, I think, but I'm risking it there. Either way, they've been on strike and we've had uh, the shutdown. Uh, Of Most of the rail network, which is in Britain today fragmented between different companies and different owners, but basically it's the government in charge. In Scotland, um, the the Edinburgh Festival, which I think lasts something like a month, has been marred uh, by a bin strike. And uh, the streets are all piling up with rubbish and other bin workers throughout Scotland have joined that strike. And for some of us who are old enough, uh, we'll remember 1979 and the winter of discontent and uh, rubbish piling up in the streets, rats. uh, And to the point where actually workers who were responsible for burying people also uh, went on strike. We're clearly going in that direction. And uh, this isn't uh, militant trade unionism. Uh, This is workers fighting uh, to defend their living standards and the living standards of of their family. It's as simple as that. And no one should be surprised uh, that this is is happening. Indeed, Mick Lynch, uh, the leader of the RMT, which is a militant trade union, it has to be uh, said, he's talking about a year of action. Um, And that wouldn't uh, surprise me. So this isn't going to be over by Christmas. Uh, It looks like the government, at least in terms at the moment, uh, Liz Truss, the expected winner um, of the Tory leadership contest, and therefore Britain's next prime minister, is basically, to use an American expression, threatening to play hardball. So there's talk of um, new uh, anti-trade union legislation. Britain, it should be stressed has some of the most draconian anti-trade union laws in in Europe. It's incredibly difficult uh, to go on strike. There's all sorts of hurdles that you've got to leap over, all sorts of hoops that you've got to go through. Nonetheless, um, uh, those hoops are being let through and those hurdles are being um, uh, overcome. Um, So um, what we also have Um, which is a jolly good idea. Uh, This isn't um, just the only union, but uh, what we've got is Britain's, I think, now second largest union, which is called Unite, moving a motion at uh, this this year's TUC, which is meeting early next month. I think it's something like the 11th. I think it opens. Either way, it's early uh, next month. And they're moving a motion calling for the tuc to coordinate uh, strikes so for example uh, when the railways uh, go on strike and again that's all fragmented uh, what will happen with unite is they will bring out their bus workers for example um so in other words you know with minimum um, um strike action you're having the maximum effect because you're coordinating now what is being made very clear is this is not what used to be called secondary action. This is not solidarity action. So this is not bus workers coming out in solidarity uh, with rail workers, even though they are in solidarity with them because that is against the law. In Britain, if you come out in favor of other strikers, uh, that is a criminal offense and the union will be fined and all have their money or property confiscated uh, by the government. So this is gonna stay within the law But this is not only Unite, which is a very big union. This is backed by the RMT, it's backed by Unison, which is the biggest uh, union uh, in Britain that mainly organises local government workers, Uh, but it will clearly go through uh, the TUC. How useful the TUC will be uh, in this role, I don't know. All you can say is the history of the TUC Trade Union Congress has been of useless general secretaries and all-round cowardice. So it did organise a general strike back in 1926 and then caved in. And um, again, some of us are old enough here to remember the great miners' strike, a year-long strike, and uh, all manner of different um, workers uh, were coming out on strike, and the TUC did nothing to encourage them, nothing to coordinate, um, everything actually to sabotage. Uh, the miners' strike and keep it isolated. Um, So who knows? Um, Maybe it will change uh, because of the cost of living uh, crisis. I don't know. Um, But we've also had, again, very predictably, um, the word wildcat has come back um, on the pages of the press. This is illegal action in Britain because you're meant to go through all sorts of give a month's notice or whatever the hell it happens to be, get your ballot in, it all has to be done by post, it all has to be counted, there has to be a certain uh, number participating, there has to be a certain, um, you know, number in favour, etc. Well, workers are just walking off the job, and that's happening in construction, uh, where workers will tend not to be organised, and it's also happening, um, again, with contract workers um, um, on the railways. Uh, But it will be happening in all manner uh, of different places and and simply won't be reported um, in the press. Um, the newspapers nowadays in Britain uh, no longer have what we used to have, and that's industrial correspondents. And these industrial correspondents might have known something about uh, trade unions. Um, I I think there's a a learning curve there for the civil service and the... Tory ministers and newspapers you know I do remember once one of our comrades interviewed a, a candidate for this left-wing organization so-called called Respect which was um, involved the SWP and George Galloway former MP and the comrade asked this candidate what do you think of trade unions and uh, this um, gormless uh, character turned around and said well um, I'm all in favor of trade and I think that's a sort of response that you would get from an awful lot of newspaper editors today, you know, what is a trade union? Um, This isn't something that they're used to dealing with. um, And it's certainly not something they're used to uh, reporting. And when it comes to ministers, what's interesting about them is their instant response is to toughen up the law, um, or in the shape of the transport minister to threaten to use uh, agency workers. Well, one, what is characteristic of Britain, at least at the moment, is an awful lot of European workers because of the pandemic and the Brexit vote have gone back to Europe. Uh, And what we have, you know, is more or less full employment. Indeed, lots of employers uh, are talking about a shortage of labour. So the idea, the idea that you can run a railway anyway with agency workers is just truly bizarre i mean what are you going to do with a train take an agency worker and say well here's a here's a (laughs) electric train or a diesel train get in there and switch the go on i mean this is just it's it's lunacy i mean you wouldn't put an agency worker into a bus would you Uh, let alone a, a train either way this is the sort of threat that that they're making in other words they haven't got a clue uh, what they're facing, because they're not facing some small group of workers that are easily replaceable. You're you're talking about the mass of the workforce is in revolt, and you can't replace the mass of the workforce. Yeah, you can replace tiny uh, groups. That's that's easy. Uh, and that's what happened, for example, with PO, uh, the ferry uh, company. They just sacked 800 workers and replaced them with agency workers. But you can't replace 8 million. Uh, workers it's just not doable so we come to the question really of what can they do well my feeling and it's only a feeling uh, my prediction uh, for what for what it's worth is that whatever uh, Liz truss is saying in front of Tory party members this is who she is getting elected by and there's about 160,000 um, of the mainly old, uh, mainly male, mainly concentrated in the Southeast. This is her electorate. So she's made her pitch to them about tax cuts and uh, being tough on unions and no handouts. Uh, well, my prediction is as soon as she's elected, um, she'll be, you know, in discussions with uh, her new ministerial team, but also crucially in discussion with um, her civil servants, who will be saying something has to be done, Prime Minister. And they will at the moment, and we know that that's what civil servants do before a new government takes um, office. They'll be drawing up all sorts of contingency plans uh, to present her. Um, and I don't think it will just be a question of uh, tax cuts and no handouts. I just cannot uh, believe that because what they face, as I say, is a, an explosion Um, of discontent you know if you cut people's living standards in an unprecedented way uh, well it's pretty obvious you're going to have resistance and that's what people are doing and they're they're uh, they're resisting and that will continue uh, throughout uh, this year well into next um, especially if nothing is done so my prediction is that something will be done what the hell it is Uh, I don't know. One option, for example, would be to steal uh, Rishi Sunak's uh, proposals to have more quote unquote handouts to people. That's what's been going on. People have been having 150 pounds, 400 pounds or 350 pounds, whatever it happens to be, land in their bank accounts. I think the next one is due uh, in October. Um, Either way, um that isn't enough by any stretch in terms of what he's done or proposing to do. Um, so civil servants, I presume, will come along uh, with more handouts. Um, and that will be done on the basis of borrowing um, on, on the markets. And therefore, um, you know, that doesn't come without its pain because interest rates uh, are going up. But I would expect something like that. But there will also be the more extreme. Um, options and you know coming from uh, the civil service and this is just a f- sort of feeling in my bones really uh, that when you listen to Boris Johnson in for example Kiev talking to the British press and when you listen to um, nadim Zahwe uh, the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer at least for another week or or so what they've been saying is well yes uh, you've got to look um at how much energy you consume and then they've they've been saying don't you know that there's a war on and um remember we were told that the war in ukraine was between russia and ukraine and we've always been saying no 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 yes it is of course between russia and ukraine but there's a bigger war Uh, this is a war between russia and ukraine and ukraine is nato's proxy and who's been the number two supporter uh, of Ukraine. Well, of course, it's it's Britain. And um, exactly. And so what they've done in order to punish Russia is not only um, send arms, um, you know, like shoulder-launched uh, anti-tank missiles, shoulder-launched anti-aircraft missiles, sophisticated anti-aircraft missiles, long-range uh, missiles, training for Ukrainian troops in salisbury uh plain uh, you know flat air uh, which they regularly bombard and send tanks over and all that sort of uh, stuff but also what they did of course is impose sanctions on russia and uh, this is what the energy uh, crisis is uh, all about and so um, we've had the cancellation of nord stream 2 which is was just ready to go into operation but also the closing down in effect of um, Russian uh, exports to Europe. And um, as a result um, of that, uh, what we've seen is the price of gas and oil shoot upwards. And because it's such a basic commodity, that's had a knock on effect throughout uh, the entire economy. And I've just got the suspicion that, at least amongst the proposals being put to Liz Truss, I Betting its, its Liz trust rather than Rishi Sunak will be something along the lines of banning strikes, banning strikes in the name of its wartime, imposing controls over prices, rents, um, you know, the sort of thing that we saw in Britain uh, in World War II. Um, well, okay, what you can say about that is that will the public uh, buy it um, I think it was the case that in you know 1939 um, enough of the public uh, bought bought into that um, uh, they did ban strikes it's true that the Communist Party uh, led a strike of miners in the Kent mine minefield a militant uh, uh, A lot of miners down there, they were people sacked from 26 or their children, packed down in the corner of rural Kent. Um, But enough people were in favour of the war uh, to accept uh, a ban on strikes. But also, i already um, alluded to it, that what you had is, uh, in return for that, is the the standard of living of the working class actually went up. So you had rent controls, you had control over prices, and you had rationing. And uh, the government nationalised whole swathes of uh, industry or or put it under state control. That included the ports, included lorry firms, lorries, uh, lorry companies were nationalised, included the railways, which were eventually formally nationalised, but they were put under state control. And yet people were fed and uh and yeah heated um so i'm sure that that will be one proposal uh that will be put forward to liz trust but um whether she prepared to go for that i haven't got a clue i i doubt it somehow but uh you know uh, expect the unexpected because we live in, in such extraordinary times uh, that extraordinary things will be done and after all Um, as you know the weekly workers pointed out again and again and again and tried to get it home to the left uh, look at the pandemic and uh, people quite rightly uh, complained about the ineffectual nature of the government response you know that they delayed they delayed uh, they were hoping that something would turn up and uh, more and more people were dying but eventually yes there was action and we had lockdown but also what we had Uh, is the government um, agreeing to buy up huge orders of this AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca, Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, um, which was uh, developed on the insistence of the academics in Oxford on a non-profit basis. And Rushi Sunak, the new chancellor, talked about tearing up the textbooks, um, In other words, uh, the free market, that's his ideology. It's a free market, Thatcherite, neoliberal, let the market decide you can't buck the market was uh, Margaret Thatcher's famous phrase. Well, they bucked the market. Um, (laughs) They rammed through um, uh, the vaccine. And you had the person who delivered my first vaccine, I think was an estate agent, a volunteer, nothing to do with profit, nothing to do with monetary incentive, but volunteered out of a sense of humanity. And that's why we talked about some sort of COVID socialism. Well, you know, again, we're now in conditions of where people will be facing, um, as I said, the choice about heating their homes or eating. Uh, We're again in a situation, I would argue, at least some sections of the civil service doing their job will be saying one of the options um, a prime minister is to go, they wouldn't use the term, uh, but go for some sort of um, energy uh, socialism. Um, Bring uh, the energy companies under control. Um, Put them under a state uh, direction. Keep prices um, um, at um, a level that's decided by the state. Uh, Deliver energy on the basis of need uh, not what people can afford, uh, i.e. ration uh, um, it. And uh, that means perhaps, I don't know how they would do it, but I'm sure civil servants know, um, you know, rich people in terms of their swimming pools and mansions, uh, some of the heating might have to be switched off, not because they can't afford it, but they're not allowed to switch it on. Anyway, the point I'm really trying to say is that we really should expect the unexpected. Um, On the other hand, maybe she tries to um, play hardball, uh, tries to crush uh, the trade unions, uh, tries to do divide and rule as possible. Um, But I just think unlikely, uh, given the severity um, of of the crisis, that something uh, will be uh, done. And uh, it could be a whole variety of different things. I think though that uh, one thing I am certain of to the extent you can be certain of anything uh, is it will not be simply a question of cutting, uh, not introducing the increase on national insurance. Um, That ain't enough. And uh, quite frankly, agency workers, I've already said, is just, it's laughable. Um, So something will happen. On the other hand, we also then need to just deal with uh, our side uh, of things. And quite clearly, what is needed on our side uh, is more than strikes. We need a political uh, response. And if we look at the Labour Party and Keir Starmer, um, basically, it's taking a, quote, unquote, responsible position. It wants to appear to be above strikes. It wants to appear to be a mediator between Labour and capital. And again, in terms of feeling uh, in my bones, um, I would expect myself um, at the next general election, whenever it comes, uh, to see a Tory defeat and a Labour victory and the installation of the most right wing Labour government that's been ever seen in British history. I could be wrong, uh, but that would be my uh, expectation. Okay. Uh, moving over the other side of the Atlantic, we have um, the raid by the FBI on Trump's uh, uh, golf hotel and home, uh, Mar-a-Lago, and um, a raid that was accompanied by FBI um, safe crackers, or maybe it was uh, private private enterprise safe crackers. Either way, they cracked open the safes and took away boxes of uh, classified uh, documents uh, that were marked um, secret and top secret. I don't know the difference between top secret and secret, but there is a difference. Um, um, as I said, I, I don't know. Either way, my guess is that top secret would include documents that name spies uh, these are the spies that we have in Germany spying on the Chancellor. These are the spies that we have in Moscow. These are the su- spies we have in Kiev, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I presume we've all looked at the uh, redacted um, affidavit. It's quite amusing reading, I suppose, by how much is redacted and how little uh, you've got there to read. It tells us something um, you know, about missing documents, And, um, you know, from what I understand, uh, I'm not sure of the agency. I'm guessing it's called an agency. The National um, Archives something agency where these uh, papers should have been deposited apparently has been on at Trump to hand them over for the last six months and nothing doing hence this raid. Um, Okay, of course, Trump has responded by calling it a disgrace and a witch hunt. And there's talk in in the United States of um, him facing, potentially, once this investigation is fully completed, and it's um, still not completed, um, there's the possibility of him being put on trial, and therefore potentially being found guilty of, um, I don't know what crimes, uh, but some sort of crime. And that would be a real irony, wouldn't it? Uh, Given Trump's successful Uh, presidential campaign, remember, against Hillary Clinton, uh, where Trump encouraged uh, his crowd uh, to shout, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. Well, um, will the Democrats now be saying, lock him up, lock him up, lock him up? I don't know. Uh, But it is a, a possibility. And all I would say in respect to this, um, I took uh, January the 6th seriously, not because I thought that there could have been a genuine coup, but simply because there was an attempted coup on January the 6th, but with a history going way back, at least a year uh, before that, of Trump basically trying to get the state machine on side uh, to actually deal with civil uh, um unrest so for example, wanting to get the army involved uh, against black lives matter uh, demonstrators uh, etc. And remember the scenes um you know in the last uh, gasp of the uh, Trump presidency where the uh, army chief of staff is issuing instructions uh, to his um, um, you know people uh, under him. Uh, don't carry out any orders, quote, unquote, I think this is an accurate quote, from the fascists. Don't obey the commander-in-chief, uh, which does tell you everything about the dysfunctionality um, of the United States at the present time. So locking up a former president, has that ever been done before? I know that we've had um, impeachment, I think of one former president, the 19th century from my memory um, i know presidents have been shot but locking up a former president i've not heard of anything like that um, so who knows maybe biden would pardon him as part of some deal or some future president would pardon him who knows either way um, you know the united states is uh, clearly malfunctioning Um, You know, when the army tells um, the army, the army chief tells the army not to obey the commands of the commander in chief, formal commander in chief um, of the army. Okay, then the question comes up and um, I think I, you know, not telling tales, but there's um, some differences amongst us on the PCC on this one. Uh, My assessment is actually uh, that. this FBI raid on Trump and the issuing of albeit redacted version of the affidavit and the ongoing investigation um, into Trump is bad news for the Republicans. Um, My my reading of it is that uh, various people are deserting Trump, not wanting to be associated with Trump. My guess, uh, (laughs) reading in between the redacted lines, is that amongst those um, the lines that are redacted is naming people um, who are actually informing on Trump. And my guess is that some of them would include insiders in the Trump White House. Uh, to me, that's bad news uh, for the Republicans in terms of um, the forthcoming elections, the midterm elections uh, this year. Normally in American uh, politics, just like in normal times, In British politics, one expects the government governing party in the case of America, uh, the sitting president and his party to do badly. So in Britain, um, you know, traditionally uh, voters use by-elections. We don't have midterms by-elections when someone dies, when someone's disgraced, when someone resigns, when someone's elevated into the House of Lords or whatever. There's a by-election. Voters often use it uh, to punish uh, the governing party, and then and you have you know enormous swings uh, against the uh, the government, um, and that's true in as I said in the United States. So the midterm elections um, are a time when the voters turn out and punish uh, the president, and you have a big swing in both houses of uh, Congress uh, against the president and and their party. Well. You know, if you'd asked me um, a few months ago, um, and it would have to be a good few months, I I readily admit that you do think this is going to happen again. I'd go, well, yeah, sure. Uh, That's what you expect. And uh, Biden hasn't got through his uh, great package that he was promising in his presidential election campaign. Now, I'm not so sure. Okay, he didn't get his full package through, but he's still got a substantial uh, package through um, narrowly. Uh, we've also had uh, the Ukraine war um, with the Republican Party split, disgracefully, not uh, the Democrats. So those uh, who support the DSA, um, they voted uh, for the Biden package, along with the majority of Republicans. So the Republicans are the ones that are split on the Ukraine uh, war. Biden is having a good Ukraine war, in uh, my my view. I could be wrong, but that's my reading of it. Um, Certainly this side of the Atlantic, Ukraine remains an ever popular cause for people to get up and clap and, um, you know, um, sympathize uh, where there's been no backlash yet uh, against this war, in spite of the huge, huge increases in energy prices that I've already spoken about. People haven't yet put one on one together and made two. It's Ukraine, stupid. It's the war, stupid. Uh, That could change, especially if the Tories politicize um, the home front by making it actually uh, the home front in a war that's being fought by Ukrainian troops uh, in Eastern uh, Europe. We'll wait and see on on that one. But yeah, we've also had, of course, the Supreme Court and uh, its decision to dump uh, Roe versus Wade and uh, hand over to states uh, the question of abortion. It's no longer a constitutional right of a woman to get an abortion. It's up to the individual states. And, uh, yeah, the majority of electors, and I know that the Senate in particular isn't a democratic uh, institution. You know, it's one state. Uh, I think it's one state This in terms of this election, one um, senator. And it doesn't matter what size the state is. California has as many senators as uh, I'm just making this one up, Delaware. I don't know how many people Delaware has, but I'm betting it doesn't have very many, not compared with California, that's for certain. Anyway, my point would be uh, that I don't think that decision, given that the Supreme Court was packed, uh, not least with appointees under Trump, and they are known to be far right to the point of lunacy uh, for any uh, thinking, you know, rational, human being like myself, um such <laughs> wood and all that um when we also had again i don't know how effective that's been but cancellation of uh, some uh, student debt uh, in the united states which um i know just from anecdotal talks to uh, americans of all sorts uh, this is a big burden around working class uh, people who in america by the way are called middle class but uh, You and me would just call them ordinary average shows or Jills. Um, But yeah, so um, for what it's worth, I certainly wouldn't um, any longer say that it's going to be certain that there's going to be a protest vote against the president and uh, the punishing of his party uh, in the midterms. And that matters uh, in terms of the domestic politics. Um, You know, basically... The president is an extremely powerful president. Um, It's basically an elected monarch. But that really, really applies uh, when it comes to international politics. Um, Congress doesn't really exercise any effective control over international politics. Presidents have a great deal of room uh, to act independently. Um, But domestic politics are a different matter. So it matters whether you've got uh, Congress on side or not. And, of course, Biden's only just had the Senate on side. Well, yeah, with um, two dissident Democrats, weren't they? And then they had to be brought over and then the casting vote of the vice president. So um, these midterms uh, matter. Um, Again, I'm not advocating, by the way, lesser of two evils. Um, I'm not advocating... Um, Voting Democrat, I'm I'm in favor of the DSA breaking, it's not for me to judge it tactically how when where and all the rest of it. But uh, what the United States need is needs is a workers party, not a Labour Party like God old help us like here in Britain, but a workers party, um, you know, the sort that uh, was founded in 1875 in Germany, a social democratic party, or sort of party led by Lenin uh, in Russia, um, an RSDLP uh, that was known as the Bolsheviks that then became the Communist Party. Uh, That's the sort of party uh, that we need uh, because of course we want reforms under capitalism, um, but we want revolution. We want a system uh, change. Okay. Um, Lastly, um how are we going for times down 45 that's fine uh, lastly um i just wanted to take a, a step back and deal with ukraine because it's close enough to be this six uh, month anniversary of the outbreak of the ukraine war so it's a, an opportunity to look at this war and for me at least to self-critically look back at what i expected and didn't expect and what's happened and you know all of that i quite frankly i didn't expect this war uh and i didn't expect it because hey look at it now uh i wouldn't i couldn't have predicted hey this is how things would look in six months my my feeling was uh, that the russian army could surround kiev i thought that was pretty easy to do Uh, but then i thought to myself well taking kiev That's going to be a Stalingrad. That's going to be a Leningrad. That's going to be street by street. That's huge losses. Uh, You know, soldiers bury themselves down. Uh, You can pound them with artillery, uh, but they're going to still keep coming back. They can go down the sewage systems. You know, they're not easy uh, to kill and and no general relishes. Um, Street urban warfare. No, they don't want that. So I, I, my feeling was uh, that this is going to be a, this, if this war happens, this really is a miscalculation by the Putin regime. And I also thought there would be very stiff resistance throughout the rest of the country. I didn't think that the Ukrainian army would disintegrate. Quite the opposite, I thought it would remain organized. I thought it would fight back. I thought it would be armed further uh, by the West. I didn't think the West would be sending in troops or anything like that. But I thought the Ukrainian army. Uh, would fight and would fight very hard Um, because what's the reason for this war it's all bogus isn't it that the Russian population was going to be genocided um, or the regime in Kiev was uh, Nazi well yeah there's the Azov brigade but it is the Azov brigade or the battalion or whatever the hell it's now called yeah of course these people are there and they're horrible statues of this band all over the western part of Ukraine and they have a stamp with him and they have a national holiday so it's a it's a bizarre for Europeans um, hero uh, to choose uh, nonetheless the point is there that what is this war all about uh, to me yeah there's NATO expansion but they, you know, Ukraine wasn't going to join not with you know Crimea and Donbass uh, it wasn't going to happen um, so yeah there was a, it was NATO expansion sure 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 but there were, you know there's also, in terms of Putin, you know, a greater Russia, Uh, clearly he's got ambitions of that sort, you know, with, what do they call it now, Belarus, white Russia, um, Ukraine, Putin's essay about how Ukraine isn't a proper nation and all that shit. Um, So what was this about? It's about aggrandisement of Russia, you can call it defensive and yeah defensive wars are also aggressive and aggressive wars are also defensive we don't really need to go uh, there but it it was clearly something that would be viewed um as a national war by the majority of the ukrainian population the russian-speaking population or the russian russian population i should distinguish the two um that's a different matter but they make up what 18 percent or something along those lines but the majority of people are ukrainian ukrainians and uh, would fight back, and hey, um, well, that's what's happened. So I I thought myself that the generals uh, would be advising Putin not to do it, and Putin would go, okay, I'm persuaded, let's try something else, and um, we'll go some other way uh, uh, about things. But instead, um, he went in, he lost phase one of the war, and we've seen illustrated, at least in that uh, theater of warfare, how tanks um, have been left behind technologically, whether that's permanent or temporary, that's a different question. Um, but uh, drones, uh, anti-tank missiles, um, seem to have um, made the tank a, um, how should you put it, a sport on the battlefield. You have to be very brave, by the way, but to shoot a, a tank with an anti-tank weapon. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but nonetheless, these are very effective uh, weapons, and have clearly, um, you know, been responsible for knocking out hundreds and hundreds of um, Russian tanks. And also, what has um, been brought home by this war is how um, the air force is very reluctant to commit conventional uh, jets anymore um, into battle. Um, you know, they do use them for bombing, but very rarely. And that tells you how effective anti-aircraft systems have become, either the shoulder launch ones uh, or the more sophisticated uh, batteries. And what the the, the war has uh, turned into is basically a static war, Um, far from it being one of rapid manoeuvre and tanks, and it's ideal tank fighting uh, territory with the support of uh, aircraft. Um, What we have is trenches and um, bombardment by artillery and deeper bombardment uh, by accurate um, missiles, so taking out bridges, taking out uh, airfields, uh, that sort of uh, stuff. But no rapid movement. Uh, The Ukrainian promised offensive has been spoken about, spoken about, but absolutely nothing has happened apart from a bridge (laughs) or two being taken out. Um, so things have really uh, bogged down. And uh, what the outcome uh, will be, I haven't got a, a clue. I don't see Ukraine uh, collapsing. Uh, but clearly, from the West's point of view, uh, the aim all the way through was to tempt, to goad uh, Putin into this action, and then trap him um, into, I'll use the term, super Afghanistan, or in American terms, a super Afghanistan. Vietnam, uh, because this isn't low level uh, guerrilla warfare, these are two, relatively speaking, even though the Russians got vastly more numbers, but two relatively equal matched armies fighting a conventional uh, war, Uh, and what the West has got in mind still, I think, is the collapse of the um, uh, Putin regime, and I do emphasize Putin regime, not Putin. Putin is mortal. I don't know whether he's got a disease or whatever. Putin will go at some point, but he'll be replaced by a Putin. And what they're hoping for is to replace Putin uh, by a Yeltsin, or maybe um, to use, uh, he's dead, I know, but uh, maybe a a version of that will be Navalny. I don't know, but they want to uh, see the end of that regime and they want to reduce Russia. Uh, either to a neo-colony or a series of neo-colonies. They want to use Russia to surround China. Of course, that can backfire as it's done so far and thrown Russia into the arms of, uh, of China, constituted uh, Russia. Um, it's uh, Austro-Hungary, a you know, subordinate uh, power. But also what's interesting, of course, and again, I have referred to this, is that sanctions thus far um haven't dented uh, the russian economy um, i'm sure it's very hard to get computer chips and uh, i'm sure people in moscow and uh, petrograd or st petersburg whatever the hell it's called nowadays uh, miss their mcdonald's and uh, whatever else shops have closed and i know car companies have pulled out but if we look at the russian economy either it's stagnant um, or it's gone up slightly and it's gone up, precisely. the irony is it's gone up because of the war and sanctions. The price, I'm sure it's selling them uh, it, uh, some deliveries at a knockdown price, but uh, uh, the price uh, um, of oil and gas has skyrocketed up and Russian income uh, has gone in the same direction. And if, um, if it's anyone suffering because of this war, of course it's the Ukrainians who died in large numbers who fled abroad in their millions. But it's also Europeans. It's European industry. It's French industry. It's German industry, the powerhouse of Europe and its immediate space, which means Poland, Czech Republic, Hungary, Netherlands. Uh, these countries, I think, uh, this winter uh, will see the closing down of various industries. And so already in, I think, in Germany, I could be wrong, I think I've read it, in Germany and in France, um, you have a nighttime switch off in terms of advertising. And of course, that's got nothing to do with saving energy. It's about propaganda, about saving. It's a public relations exercise. We are in bad times. We've got to switch the lights out. And um, in winter, whole industries will be shut down. Now, if you're looking at this from an American point of view, and I mean by that a ruling class uh, point of view, well, it's great, isn't it, that it's European industry that's being sacrificed in this war. It's great that it's Russian and Ukrainian lives that are being lost in this war. And America is in the position where it's hoping to see a collapse of uh, Russia and an encirclement of of China. Now, of course, uh, things could turn out uh, very different. And so I'm, I'm not predicting anything like that, you know, plans and uh, reality, um, you know, rarely ever can coincide, but what I wanted to, um, finish at least this little bit on Ukraine with is just to add in, uh, this is also why I think that there will be again, very risky thing is prediction. I think there will be a deal, um, with Iran, um, It could all go pear-shaped and there could be a bombing attack on Iran next week, sure. But I think there will be a deal. I can't see, I don't see America wanting to open up a war front uh, with Iran. Of course, not an invasion. That was never on the cards. But, you know, a blitzkrieg um, on Iran. Okay, just two final things on um, Ukraine. And this is about the truth. And I'm going to do my best. The Zarozitsa uh, nuclear plant is held by Russia. We all know that, don't we? Uh, We have it every day in every news outlet. There are Russian soldiers apparently holding uh, the nuclear staff, you know, by gunpoint, making them work. And there they are. They're keeping this uh, power station going. And we've had the story about the grid being switched off and diverted and whatever. And Power plants need electricity. They need power. To keep them going and it's a risky that's so I understand it. Either way, we all know that this is in Russian hands. And yet we still have the story being put over. Russia is bombarding um, this uh, nuclear facility. Well, why the hell? Why would anybody bombard yourself? I know in war sometimes accidents happen, but we're not dealing with accidents, are we? We're dealing with Ukrainian accusations that Russia is bombarding this nuclear part and it's very dangerous. Well, this is clearly rubbish. It has to be rubbish. And why, why the news uh, presenters and uh, editors don't just say, well, we're going to investigate this and we'll tell you the truth when we find it. Why they repeat stuff that's so obviously crap. I don't know. Are they, Do they really take us for fools? It seems so, you know, I mean, sorry. This is like saying that um, uh, uh, Putin has ordered uh, Russian soldiers to bombard Russian soldiers. It's just not credible. It's like saying that this attack on the airfield in Crimea was ordered by the Kremlin. It's just obviously not. It's obviously has to be a Ukrainian action. Now, I can explain it perhaps in various ways. I could say, for example, what was going on in that plant was the launching of anti-aircraft missiles. So it goes up and leaves a a plume of uh, flames and smoke behind it as it goes in the air. I can believe that. But no, Russia is not bombarding itself um, um, in this nuclear plant. Uh, Ukraine might be. Ukraine might be targeting... Russian tanks and Russian emplacements, so that I can believe. And that would be very dangerous because my understanding is, I've read up this, and I don't know how accurate it is, but I read that this plant is <coughs> very different, excuse me. <coughs> it's a very different design Chernobyl, and it would switch off this, do that, it can't be hit by this. But as I understand it, uh, what you've got is spent and nuclear material in pools. And in America, I read uh, that after Chernobyl and after 9-11, orders were issued to cover these uh, pools in concrete and steel and to make them invulnerable to nuclear attack. Well, that hasn't happened in Ukraine. So if a a shell uh, landed on one of these pools, it would release radiation and it would send the radiation climbing up um, into the atmosphere, how high that would depend on the explosive power, blah, 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 but that is very dangerous in anyone's language. And again, how safe the plant really is, I don't know. Um, but yeah, to me, uh, this is Ukraine playing dangerous, um, not Russia playing dangerous. I'm not defending Russia at all, by the way. I'm just saying, well, at least investigate it. Tell me, you know, what the truth about this story is, because I think it's the opposite of what they keep pumping out. And again, I'll finish with this one. And this is the assassination of Dara Dugin-a, uh, Dugina, uh, because I think it's the female version of the name, i.e. the daughter of Alexander Dugin, He was clearly the intended target. That's my guess. And BBC says, "Ooh, this was an inside job. This wasn't Ukrainian special forces uh, assassinating this guy. Don't you know that this guy has been critical of the uh, lack of progress of the invasion? So it's an inside job. Or it's some um, anarcho-communist group that no one had ever heard of before. um, What did it? Come on, uh, no. Uh, I mean, my version of politics is to go for what seems obvious, and when you disprove the obvious, then you go for the you know the more and more absurd. That's the sort of Sherlock Holmes method. <laughs> it's also called what is it? Uh, uh, someone's razor, Joachim's um, Yo- 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 or he's Stan is telling me Joachim's razor. Ockham, yeah anyway it's basically well go for that and yeah if that doesn't work then go somewhere else but go for the, the obvious explanation and, and so i'm reminded uh of the scribbles now this was a, a, a father and daughter uh, the father was a former um russian spy who defected and he was poisoned in salisbury in south south of um england and um my instant response to the poisoning of this guy in which a policeman was also poisoned and some poor bloody woman uh, also died. The Skripals actually survived, who picked up a, um, a vial and thought it was perfume. Uh, she died, a boyfriend uh, gave it to her, she died. Well, my first response would be, of course, this has to be Putin. Uh, it's just punishing uh, a defecting spy. That's what Russia does. That's what KGB used to do, you know. Um, yeah, that's just how it is. <laughs> and yet, of course, you meet stupid people on the left, too many. And go, no, no, no. It wasn't Putin. It was MI5. It was MI6. You, you you just go, why on earth would MI5 or MI6 kill a defecting spy? <laughs> you know, like, that's a warning to present day Russian spies that if you come over to our side, we poison you doesn't work does it no it's the other way around it's a warning from putin that to existing spies if that's what you do if you defect we kill you in a nasty way you know you're not going to die just with one bullet in your body and one bullet in your head that's the classic method of assassination no you're going to die from some horrid poison um that is the kgb stroke fsb method of punishment so again, I just look at this uh, attempted assassination of uh, Alexander Dugin. Yeah, they got his uh, daughter. and I go, this clearly is not Putin. It could be, but the, the obvious explanation, and that's what I'm sticking with, is, is this was a Ukrainian job. They, their secret service has exactly the same mentality because they were in the same organization not that long ago, and certainly have the same crazy mafiosa uh, culture about revenge as the KGB-FSB. You know, they're from the same pod. So these people are assassins. And, uh, yeah, that's what... It was them what done it. And the BBC uh, had no problem, of course, in telling us that this was Putin it, when it came to Salisbury. Is telling us a cock-and-ball story uh, about some... Is it national, revolutionary, republican whatever the hell it happens to be or um this was a, a kremlin job no um, this is this shows you um of course the kremlin lies but it shows that the bbc uh, lies as well and i've given two examples of where they are just telling us uh, absolute whoppers of lies and treating us sorry uh, like fools and all i can say is i refuse to be treated like a fool and I'd certainly urge um, the rest of the left uh, also not to be treated uh, like fools. This should, the BBC ought to be made a laughingstock. The idea that it's somehow better than RT, somehow objective, somehow even-sided. Uh, that is a, that's the biggest lie um, of, of, um, of this war. It isn't um, even-sided. It's a voice It's a voice of the British government. It's the voice of Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, and the warmongers who are fighting a proxy war in Ukraine. That's it, Stan. Thank you.